2: get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team's every day. I am your host, Rylan Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Does that R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S? You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. Email the show, L-O-Thunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405 405- 362-7128. On today's show, we're going to recap the Orlando Magic game, talk about Teo's big night, Shea stepping up, and Darius Baisley breaking out of his slump. This is the first game of five on the road for Oklahoma City. Ty Jerome was out in this one, as was, of course, Trevor uh, Reza, who is not with the team. The Magic were missing Evan Fournier, who, of course, is a big part of their team and who made a big impact on this team on Tuesday night. The Thunder starters were, of course, Shea Hill, Dort, Baisley, Horford. So in the first quarter, it became pretty clear that Darius Baisley was going to finally have – that big game, and, and he did. He starts this game with two very strong finishes at the rim and finishing over players and being aggressive offensively, something he has lacked throughout this regular season, specifically in these last two games. So Darius Baisley got back on track tonight. You saw him in this game just become that building block piece we've talked about. Not only was he very good on the defensive end with that block and staying in front of guys and rotating and helping defend those big men, which the Thunder just don't have the bodies to do at the moment on this roster, but offensively he was huge. 19 points in this game, two assists, including a beautiful pass on the fast break where he goes behind his back on his dribble to get past the Magic defender and then makes a beautiful bounce pass to George Hill for a layup, which really sparked this team. And you saw the 12 defensive rebounds and and that is huge for him. Obviously, any time that you can have an athletic forward grab a rebound, it is great to get out in transition, and you saw a few plays uh, like that tonight, and that's what I've been saying since May, of of the fact that Darius Spaces' elite trait is playmaking. That's really the reason why he elevated himself into a first-round talent while not playing college basketball, because he's a heck of a playmaker. And you don't get to show that whenever you're playing with Chris Paul, then a shooter and Shea. When, when you're playing with three point guards already, there's not a lot of playmaking opportunities to go around. He does get to show that with this team construction, and you really got it on that one play where he d- does the fancy behind the back move. Uh, Darius basically gets a double-double in this one. Baisley was also very efficient in this game, shooting 70% from the floor, 50% from beyond the arc, and going three for three at the free throw line. No turnovers either for Darius Baisley. He was really good on his way to 19 points, and... This is what he needed, right? We talk, we've we talked about his struggles the last week, right? The last week has been all about how much Darius Baisley is struggling. But the entire week, he's kept up his end of the bargain on the defensive end. He's been a good defender. He's been a team player on that end of the floor, which is so rare for a young player to be able to do that while struggling so much the way he was offensively. And so in this game, it clicked for him. He got the 12 rebounds, he got the block, he made some good plays defensively, and then he was rewarded on the offensive end. He knocked down a couple uh, threes, he was found on some beautiful cuts by Shea and Al Horford even. And this was that building block game. This was the game that we saw a few times in the bubble, where you evaluate it and you think that that Darius Basley can be the long term piece, a long term piece in your future. You got to remember, Darius Basley's twenty years old, and that's why I always try to find positives in his week this week because the the ups and downs are going to happen. And the fact that he was still playing good defensively, still rebounding well, was a big positive in all of this. And it's again usually the opposite. We talked about that yesterday. It's normally the opposite with these guys, where They're going to check out defensively and just try to get theirs offensively. He looked like he was checked out offensively. So to get reengaged with this offense is really good for him because you saw the wrinkle he can add whenever you have – Darius Baisley, who has the potential to shoot well from beyond the arc, whenever you have that guy to make the extra pass to, it opens up the floor so much. And so it was a much-needed game from Darius Baisley, and he's the huge reason why this team got the win, as was Shea. Shea was phenomenal, again, not as efficient as he was before, but here's the kicker. He took 17 shots, that's seven more shots than he did the other day. So, of course, the percentages will go down. But you could see a more aggressive side of Shea's game on his way to just 29% shooting from the floor. Goes 5 for 17. He had 16 points in this one. He still only had the one turnover, though, even as Orlando was focusing on him, being aggressive with him, and, put, and putting pressure on him from the word go. He only turns the ball over once on his way to seven assists, and most of them were just beautiful passes. The, the way that Shea can read the floor in his first true season as a starting point guard in the NBA, you have to remember as a rookie, he was with Doc Rivers, and Doc Rivers trusted him uh, and, and, and played him a lot. But he was never the guy, the, the initiator of that offense and, and the go-to number one option and the go-to number one lead guard even And he didn't have that his first year, did not have that last year, whenever he had a crutch of Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. And now this year, he has it. And and he's hit the ground running each and every game. He's been very efficient. He's been a good passer, a good playmaker. And it's just amazing that this is the starting point. Mark Dignott preaches and preaches and preaches about starting points. And this was it for him. And this has been it for him. These first six games, seven games, whatever it's at right now. If this is where Shea, the point guard, is starting from, then you can just throw away those conversations that we've been having. You know, before the season, the question was, okay, yeah, Shea's your point guard this year, but can he be a long-term point guard? Is he better off the ball? Is, where is he best at? Where is he best fit at? And if this is a starting point for point guard Shea, then I think the question's answered. If, if this is where the baseline is at, then Shea is your long-term point guard, and you fill out the team around that. But what's so beautiful about Shea's game is the fact that he can do both. He can be very versatile. He can play off the ball. He can get the job done in a variety of ways. And the Thunder really kept this game close all night. And and the difference in winning this game versus losing this game is that the shots went in. In that first quarter, the Thunder are losing 33-28. But Oklahoma City was doing a fantastic job of getting open looks. and just They had an open three-point shot at will. The difference was, though, in that first quarter... The Thunder shot 33% from beyond the arc. The Magic shot 50% from beyond the arc, including about three shooter rolls, where the Thunder were just missing wide open, really good shots. And that was the tale of this game. You saw Terrence Ross come in and just elevate this team with 12 first-quarter points off the bench for the Magic. And as that wore down, and as the Thunder shot better, they simply started to win and did win. And I don't say that as tongue-in-cheek, like, obviously, you got to make shots to win the game. I'm just saying that, you know, the shots never change. The The quality of shots never change moment-to-moment in this game. What did change is that they didn't run out. And so it's as simple as that for winning this game for Oklahoma City. Terrence Ross was incredible off the bench for the Magic. The Thunder had an amazing bench player of their own, Teo Malthon, which we'll get to in a second. But I do want to praise Lou Dort as well, as we're talking about that that core three, the the young three that we knew coming into the year, Shea, Baisley, Dort. And Lou Dort was really good at finishing at the rim. And we talk a lot about his three-point shooting. Had a one-for-four night from beyond the arc, but we'll talk about his three-point shooting again in a second. We talk a lot about how he can be a better player with the improved three-point shot, but his ability to finish at the rim and finish through contact and do those reverse layups that we've seen him pull off in each of the last three games his fancy finishes at the rim is going to unlock so much more for him because going back to that three point shot, you're now seeing teams respect Lou Dort's three, a lot more than you did in the playoffs, a lot more than you did in game one, a lot more than you did last game, even against new Orleans. These teams are starting to take notice of Lou Dort's sudden surge of three point, you know, three point success. The big question becomes, can he keep it up as teams focus on that area more? But beyond that, If teams are now respecting Lou Dort and closing out on him from beyond the arc, not only does it open up offense for other people, it opens up offense for Lou Dort himself if he can finish at the rim the way he showed in this last week. But of course, not the best shooting night from him. 28% from the floor, 25% from beyond the arc. Goes four for fourth, the free throw line though, with four rebounds, a steal, and a block. He scores nine points and got into foul trouble. Second straight night, Lou Dort is in foul trouble. Something to keep an eye on because he did so well up until that Pelicans game of not getting in foul trouble. And you kind of wave off the Pelicans game of like, okay, you had to play Zion and Steven Adams. In this game, he had two frustration fouls which are a big deal on your way to four personal fouls. He had two frustration fouls which so just shouldn't have happened the one where he hip checks a guy out of bounds while the ball is literally sitting out of bounds would have been thunderball instead it's a it's a foul on Lou Dort and he had another silly foul in that third quarter but still he only fouled four times as your top defender on the other team's you know marquee matchup and best score but he did a really good job of not fouling those first couple of games last game against New Orleans in this game he got in foul trouble see if he does it again against Miami on Monday Coming up, I do want to talk about Teo Maldon and his impressive game against the Orlando Magic. I also want to talk about Mark Dagnat again because, once again, this is another game that is a feather in Mark's cap of how good of a coach he is going to be.
0: In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
2: We are back on the Locked On Thunder podcast, apart from the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. This is the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Tail Maldon had a breakout game in this one, played 19 minutes, closed the game with the starters, went five for seven from the floor, 71%, went one for three from beyond the arc, 33% was perfect to the line, one for one. Also had four assists, three rebounds, and a steal in this game. Tail Maldon was simply incredible. As a rookie, he was awesome. This is the first time since that Spurs game that we've seen an aggressive tail on, that we've seen him perform at that possible first-round pick level. Now, look, I know that the popular stance is that he outperformed Cole Anthony, which in this game he did. Cole Anthony's had a really good year, though, to start his rookie season, so I'm not going to make any sweeping judgments on one game from Cole Anthony, but nonetheless— To me, if Teo Maldon plays at this level, we talk about starting points again. If Teo Maldon can play at this level, you did get a first-round talent at pick 34. And that is awesome to pull off to start your rebuild whenever you haven't even expended any of these future 250,000 first-round picks. But Teo Maldon's passing in this game was amazing. I mean, he passes at an elite level. He has elite court vision. The throw he made literally a throw, like threw it like he was throwing a football, across the court on a frozen rope into the corner to a wide-open Hameda Diallo, who did get two points. He got fouled as he's driving to the rim, but the pass from Aldon set that up was simply awesome. And then Maldon did it again. And Diallo finishes off a three-point attempt. So made two beautiful passes to him and Diallo. And and the passes, again, just look like Patrick Mahomes was flinging the football around. That's how much of a frozen rope that he threw these on. It was fun to watch Maldon play. It really was. And he picked the spots very well when shooting, as you can tell by his efficient numbers. And Teo Maldon's a player. I mean, mean, he really is. You never want to get too high or too low on any of these games, especially their rookie year. But I think that you wouldn't be wrong for forecasting Tail Maldon's future, you know, if, if you wanted to predict it right now, the, the floor on it would be a contributing sixth man on a really good team. And that's his floor. So he has immense potential moving forward. Much like Shea, Teal Maldon made some very impressive reads in this game. And the court vision, the maturity in it was just awesome. And Al Horford talked about that After the game, talking about what's impressed me the most with Tao is that he is not your average rookie. He's very mature. Uh, He knows what he wants to do with the basketball. And as he gets more comfortable, you're going to see a better, better, and better version of Tao. Malone is also very composed and and very smooth. He obviously had that immaculate and one at the rim. And some of his passes, I know those four assists is very misleading because some of those passes, by the way, were to guys like Kendrick Williams who just. It seems like every game, Kendrick Williams is the beneficiary of an amazing pass from Shea, or from Teo, or from Poku, and they make these amazing passes, and then Williams just messes it up and misses the shot. It just seems that way, that every game, Williams is the guy who misses the shot from an amazing pass. He did it to Teo Maldon today, but again, Maldon is so smooth and composed, and that's what I really find Interesting about his on-court maturity. Of course, I don't know the guy. I cannot speak to how mature he is off the floor, which I'm sure he's a great guy off the floor. On the floor, though, I keep thinking about that buzzer beater he made at the end of the first quarter. Many people do not care about these kind of buzzer beaters, but to me, it was a good example of just how collected he is. Because on that play, he gets the ball, he loses the ball twice. And after losing it twice, Panic never sets in. He just gets the basketball, smoothly goes up into his normal shot motion, even as clock is about ran out. He doesn't jack it up there or fling it up there or anything like that. Smoothly gets into his shot motion, throws up the shot, nothing but net, buzzer beater. He makes it and gives some life into the second quarter. And that kind of composure is very important to me. I mean, this is someone who you want Again, at worst, leading your second unit. and So to have that kind of composure, passing ability, scoring ability is a joy to watch. He's so fun to watch play basketball. And that's what's most important about this team. The wins are great. For some, the losses are even better, obviously, as you're trying to tank. But... What's so important for me is how watchable this team is, how enjoyable it is to watch this team. Even when they get blown out against New Orleans, there's little things you can watch and pick up on that is so fun to watch. And tonight is no different. Even if they would have lost this game, that was a heck of a basketball game to watch with a ton of storylines to follow along the way. So credit to Tail Maldon. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting more aggressive. And you hope that that continues against the Heat and beyond. But this is the first time, as he mentioned himself, that we've seen an aggressive Tail Maldon since the first preseason game. I mean, that's what he said himself. So I really enjoyed watching them. I do want to take some time to talk about the veterans, right? I mean, these are two guys that get overlooked in this team, I think a little bit, because we're just so enthralled with Poku and Maldon and Dort and Baisley and Shea watching their every move. But George Hill has been in a very good addition to this team and will be a very good addition to any team in the NBA. And the Thunder should be rooting for more chaos and more jumbled results. And, no one you know you don't want anyone to separate themselves from the middle of the pack right now you want as many teams to feel like they're in the mix as possible because george hills a guy who teams that are in the mix will talk themselves into they're going to talk about how much you can bring to their team. They're going to talk about that. If we just had a George Hill, we'd be over the hump. A George Hill here would take us to the next level. He's that kind of guy where at the deadline, you're looking around for guys who can make an impact. He can make an impact for your team. So the more teams there are looking for a George Hill kind of guy, there are less George Hills available, right? Because if, If there's more teams wanting to buy, there's less teams wanting to sell. Oklahoma City will be a team trying to sell. Furthermore, there's not very many George Hills in the NBA, period. You have one of them. You have the George Hill. So you want as many teams thinking that they can make the postseason as possible leading up to that March trade deadline, and then... There's going to be so many buyers and so many suitors. You can get a first-round pick for a guy that I thought you'd get two seconds for just a month ago, and George Hill was awesome tonight. Five points in the first five minutes of the third quarter. He really took over in that second half. He was really a veteran leader in that second half. He had 18 points in this game. He also had two steals, five assists, and a rebound in this contest. And George Hill really impressed me also with the fact that he's not just a a stationary shooter. He's not just a spot-up guy. He's a really good cutter, which we found out today with some brilliant cuts in this game. He also, of course, can initiate some offense and be the lead lead ball handler on some sets, as well as, of course, the stationary shooting. So I think that George Hill will provide a huge boost to some team that either is dealing with an injury or wants to push their chips in and just go for this thing because they think that they can get over the hump with a George Hill-like player, and The more games we see like this of George Hill and the more games we see where we get the results needed to keep teams together and keep teams close to the middle – the more and more value you got to place on a guy like George Hill. And then Al Horford was huge tonight, including that dagger three. He scores 12 points in this game, has the one block, has four assists and six rebounds. He does not shoot very efficiently from beyond the arc, two for seven, uh, but did shoot 41% overall from the floor. But Al Horford's defensive ability and You could see him talking in the huddle about where guys need to go and how guys need to defend. You could see that on TV. It was a huge part of why this team won. And again, the Thunder, if they don't score on that possession that Al Horford hit the dagger three, you start to see this game slip away because Shea misses another clutch free throw splits the difference there. You take away three points from that three pointer that Al Horford made. And you're looking more and more like that, that Charlotte game where you saw the game slip away late. And then Shea bails you out with that buzzer beater shot. So, Al Horford's steady hand offensively, again, initiating offense with with four assists in this one, he can do it all for you. He's been a really good addition to this team. But as we talked about before, I I don't think that Al Horford's season uh, matters for the deadline, but it does matter for the offseason. I just think that this is too big of a contract to move by the deadline. But nonetheless, he's playing very, very well. I also want to talk about Mark Dignot and just another example of how he is the man for the job, and we're seeing it already. Even in a year that is supposed to be rebuilding, even in a year that is supposed to be about tanking, we're still able to see glimpses of how good of a coaching hire that this was for Oklahoma City. We also, of course, have the MVP of the game, the bet of the game outcome, and the money ball of the game outcome. Did I finally, did I finally get a money ball of the game right? Did I finally get my first one this season? Or will I have to go back to the drawing board on Monday?
3: Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, "Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there."
2: We are back on the Lockton Thunder podcast, a part of the Lockton Podcast Network. Your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at styles. That's at r y l a n underscore s t i l a s and. I do want to talk about Mark Dagnett again, because he made some really good decisions in this game. I mean, one decision was at the 737 mark to go ahead and put back in a, quote, winning lineup whenever he had Shea in there, uh, left Maldon in there because of how well he's playing, put Dort in there, Baisley, and eventually brought in Horford. But for that moment, he had Muscala in there, who I still think is a very viable option. But beyond any of that, right, beyond the X's and O's of this whole thing, which he did have some amazing out-of-bounds timeout plays that got even George Hill, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, a wide-open three-point attempt. But beyond all that, beyond all the X's and O's and the substitution patterns, this Thunder team, even as a one-win team coming into this game, even as a team that is off to a bad start, wins and losses-wise, and is expected to lose so they could easily pack it in already and just say, okay, well, we are who they thought we were. We're just going to give up. This team is not the most talented team in Thunder history, not by a long stretch. In fact, talent-wise, you can actually say they're the second worst team to ever play in Oklahoma City. It's just what it is. But this team is playing the hardest brand of basketball we've ever seen. This team is giving you so much effort night in and night out. A Thunder team has never given you this much effort, so hats off to Mark for making this team play with that kind of energy and effort. And that's part of why I'm so high on him. That's part of why I'm so high on Mark Dignott is because of how much effort this team gives. The Thunder have had way more talented teams, but they would never give the effort this team is giving right now. And his leadership is being shown on and off the floor. It's being felt right now for Oklahoma City. Look at this team's history. Take Russell Westbrook. Gave you a ton of effort his MVP season. But that OK3 team they would not lock in for anything. I mean, I mean, with Melo and George, they thought that they could just roll out of bed and be a one seed in the Western Conference. And you saw them have to scramble to make the postseason late in that season. I mean, you saw them not show up against Orlando Magic-type teams, right? That was their biggest downfall because they could show up and dominate the Golden State Warriors the night before Thanksgiving, but they certainly would lose in Orlando. They would certainly lose to bad teams, as would the Westbrook and George pairing the next year. They just simply would not get up for bad teams. And that's not to call this Magic team a bad team. I'm just saying that that even that team that had so much talent and possibility just never would put it together against, against lower competition and even against some higher-ranked teams, of course. But if that team, the OK3 team, and the year after it with, with 18 and 19, if those teams could give the energy and passion and effort that these teams are giving you on the floor night in and night out, that would be a much better team. I mean, much better. You can get into the chicken or the egg argument of, like, is that just because of these players care more and these players on this roster want to try hard? Or is that because of Mark Degnaut? You can do it either way you want to do it. But I think that he has them believing and buying into a genuine system, and you're seeing that pay off night in and night out in their effort. Nobody wants moral victories, but this is one that you have to give to this team because it's something we've hardly ever seen in the franchise's history. So credit to them also. This was a heck of a win for Oklahoma City because it will keep that effort there. I think if you lose this game, it might start to slip, right? You might start to slip into, okay, this is getting rough here. But you win this game and you re-energize your team. You also, once again, do not steal a game. We've talked about this before. Stealing a game would be like beating It'd be like beating the Lakers, right? You're not supposed to beat the Lakers at all. So in your March for 20 wins on a tanking team, whenever you're trying to win, you know, less games to higher your lottery odds, losing a game to a team you're supposed to beat is a negative. But this team has to win 20 games. I mean, they're not just going to go winless or or they're not just going to go with one win all season. This team's going to win some games. And so to beat the Magic, who in all reality, when the dust settles, will be about the seventh seed in the East at best when it's all said and done – to beat this team is no big deal. I mean, it's just par for the course. So are they too good to tank? Who knows? We can talk about this more on Monday, if they're too good to tank or not. I'm going to say they're not too good to tank. I mean, we've we've seen more bad than we have good from this team. And again, you can make the clear argument that this should be their first win of the year. They shouldn't have beaten Charlotte. And so at that point, are we still saying they're too good to tank? Who knows? Uh, let's just let this team tell us who they are, right? Do I think that this team should be tanking? I think that that's the best strategy for a small market. That is the right strategy. That's the best strategy. And that's what they should be doing. But we'll see where the journey takes us. We'll just see what the results are as they come. But this team, I think personally, is where they want to be. They want to be playing competitive basketball. They want to be having a chance to win every single night, but finishing with two wins through two weeks. That's where they're at, and that's where they want to be. So do I think they're too good to take? No, but... I know that's that's gonna be the topic of conversation after every single win or every single performance that they look decent. But now it's time for the MVP of the game.
1: Who's MVP, MVP, MVP. MVP right now?
2: You're the real MVP. MVP, MVP, MVP. The MVP of this game has to be Darius Baisley, gets the double-double, gets the two assists and the block, and is two for four from beyond the arc. Got to give credit here also on that second three-pointer from Darius Baisley. Give the credit to Shea. Shea had the open look. Shea is the leader. Shea is the number one option. He had it all on his side. He has an open enough look to jack up the three, and no one bats an eye at him. But he passes up a good shot for a great shot with Darius Baisley in the corner, and Baisley cashes in on that opportunity. And that really sparked this team to finish out the rest of this game. Al Horford says that that shot right there in the corner from Darius Baisley set the tone to close out the contest and get the win over the Orlando Magic. The bet of the day outcome, I had Oklahoma City plus five and a half. Obviously, that cashes in. The Moneyball outcome, which is who leads the team in three pointers made. I tried to ride the Lou Dort train. It failed. So I am still over. In the Moneyball Outcome Prediction, if you had George Hill, you're a winner. He had three three three-pointers in this game. The Thunder will next play on Monday against the Miami Heat. We'll be back on Monday to preview that game and talk about what's happening around the league. And we'll have more of that tank conversation. How good or bad is the tank going? Where are the Thunder at in the tanking odds at that point? Of course, on Tuesday, we'll recap that Miami game and so on and so forth. So much to dive into on Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. I am Rylan Stiles. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-A-S. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Locked on Thunder.